Welcome back to Creative Spaces. My name is Kevin Knight. This is the podcast where we talk with creatives, artists, writers, and people in the creative field about their process, from inspiration to productivity to how they stay inspired. This week, we continue with our live series from Long Beach Comic Con with writer Christos Gage. Christos talks about breaking into comics, as well as writing with his wife Ruth on the Daredevil TV show, as well as the duo's original graphic novel series, Lion Aurora, that's out now on Oni Press. Oh, and Nicholas Brandon, you know, the actor, he joins us about halfway through the interview to talk about co-writing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic book with Gage. Thanks again to all the fine folks at the Long Beach Comic Con for having us out. It was such a blast. We'll be back there for Long Beach Comic Expo in February. Go over to longbeachcomiccon.com for all your tickets and information. And here's our interview with Christos Gage. Uh, my name is Christos Gage, and uh, I write uh, TV, comic books, movies, video games. Pretty much anything anybody will pay me to write, I will write it. <laughs> hey, Christos, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in New York, but I mostly grew up in North Grafton, Massachusetts, although a different, I, I lived in Athens, Greece for a few years oh, wow. as, a, as a kid. Uh, but yeah, mostly I consider myself as from Massachusetts. Nice, nice. Central Mass, near outside Worcester. Where'd you go to school? Huh? Where'd you go to school? In high school or college? College, whichever. College, mm-hmm. I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, wow. Smart guy. I don't know if I'd go that far. Is that where you discovered you were a writer? How did you, how did you get into being no, a writer? I, you know, I always knew that writing... Like, I, read, I, I read a lot of interviews with writers who say that something, there came a point where something clicked and they realized that being a writer was something actually people did. For me, both my parents were writers, even oh, though really? they were different types of writers. Uh, they were journalists, and my father has written uh, books, mostly nonfiction. Um, so they, that's a different type of writing, but because of what they did, I, I knew that writing was actually a career people had, like, you know, being a, a carpenter or, you know, a salesman or whatever. So I was always aware of it, and, you know, like I'm sure a lot of us do, when I was uh, a kid, my, my friend Sean and I, we couldn't draw, but we would do it with stick figures, and we would draw our own comics, uh, you know, using existing characters, but it, which were mostly gigantic fight scenes, uh, you know, so it'd be like, you know, uh, Hulk versus Colossus, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and, uh, and the funny thing is, so many years later, I got to write a book called World War Hulk X-Men. Uh, and I remember talking to the editor, Andy Schmidt, and he was like, so basically Hulk comes back to Earth, and he's mad at the Illuminati. So he's mad at Professor X, even though Professor X wasn't one of the Illuminati who sent him away. Uh, and as, as like, he was, and Andy was like, this is kind of a thin premise. We really just want the Hulk to fight the X-Men. And I was like, oh, I can do, I can do that. <laughs> and I said, now, if you want to have the Hulk fight the X-Men, can this just be a book where the Hulk just fights the X-Men almost continuously, and it's like all the X-Men? And he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So we, we, it was just like a gigantic, for, it was me just pulling out all the stops with Andrea DeVito, who was a terrific artist. Uh, we, we had the Hulk fight, you know, the young X-Men, the new X-Men, the adjectiveless X-Men, like everyone we could get in there. And the, and the juggernaut, because why not? Um, and it was, it was awesome. Course. It was so much fun, and it sold like crazy. Now, uh, I have to say, that was my favorite book that you've ever done. Why, thank you. I'm kidding. Uh, no, and, and, and I got to do the thing where Hulk fights Wolverine and beats him by just hitting him repeatedly in the head until he's brain damaged. <laughs> can't, he can't kill him, but he can just make him brain damaged. Anyway, um, so anyway, I was a kid, and my friend Sean and I wrote and drew these comics. 
Uh, and then when I was older, I remember like writing my own choose your own adventure books uh, and stuff like that. So I think I always just kind of did it. So it was always just kind of in you. Yeah, yeah. So, but when, when did you actually get to that point where you're like, you know, I think I might be able to do this for a living? Uh, well, let's see. I went to film school. Oh, I also forgot to tell you, like in the mid-80s when I was like 15, I, I uh, sent some submissions into Marvel Comics, which were basically gigantic fight scenes. <laughs> and they sent me a very politely phrased letter back, which essentially said, uh, you know, keep, keep trying, kid. Um, <laughs> so then I went to, to college and I did take some writing classes and... Uh, but then I, I decided to go to film school and I got into the American Film Institute AFI in Los Angeles uh, for screenwriting. Got a master's degree in screenwriting. That's where I met my wife, Ruth, uh, and we, we began working together uh, and writing together. And, uh, you know, about six months out of graduating, uh, sold our first, pit, you know, our first project, which was a pitch to Warner Brothers. Uh, and you know, from there, it just kept just kept at it. I mean, we we did movies, we wrote feature scripts for a long time, and that got to be kind of frustrating because even when you actually get paid to write, like eight times out of ten, the movie doesn't get made. Yeah. Um, and you know, the first thing we sold was like a big budget, you know, colossal sci-fi movie, and didn't get made. And and we did have a couple of things made, which were mostly lower budget genre stuff. Yeah. A movie called The Breed, a movie called. Uh, uh, what the heck was that called? Uh, a movie called Paradox. Uh, I wrote a movie called Teenage Caveman, which Larry Clark directed. Uh, and um, you know, but it, it was it was still pretty frustrating. And so we moved into TV and wrote for Law and Order SVU. And TV is great because generally, if you're working for a show, you write an episode and it actually gets shot and yeah. airs, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and then in around about 2003, I had always wanted to do comics. Never really knew how to break in that that mid-80s letter from marvel kind of took the wind it out traumatized of you no it, it, it I was just, like framed on the wall being like you will never write comic <laughs> books kid no no it uh, it was i actually did, Stanley. I, I did submit something to uh image at one point and got a very nice letter back submitted something to dc and the guy named neil posner who's since passed away uh who i never actually met but people speak very highly of it wrote me a nice letter back and but i was doing other stuff and, and then so around about 2003 i met jimmy palmiotti and and I, I was going to be in New York for the shooting of an episode, uh, uh, one of our episodes of Law and Order SVU, and he was like, look, let me set up a meeting for you with Dan DiDio at DC, which is very kind of him. He, he was like, you're a professional writer. And, and this was also at a time when not a ton of people from Hollywood were doing comics. Uh, yeah. It was like Kevin Smith, Joss Whedon, and that was it. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, there had been some people who go the other way, like Jerry Conway had gone on to write for Law and Order and stuff. But generally, you didn't come back because even into the time I was in film school, which was in the mid-90s, writing jobs were very stratified. So you were, for example, if you wrote movies, you didn't also write TV because that was a step down. You wrote TV when you could no longer get work in movies. Now it's the other way around. All movie yeah. writers want to write TV. Then uh, if you wrote live-action TV, you didn't write animated TV because that was a step down. If you only did that if you couldn't get work in live-action Yeah. And then comics, that was like when you really, you know. That was like, your career is over. Exactly. You were going to go write, a, write comic books, or you could just never be good enough to do all that other stuff. Right, right. I always felt like, it was funny because I always kind of felt like it was, it was that point when, you know, growing up in the 80s, it was just like, 
you'd, you'd meet Steve Englehart or something like that. He was like, well, I always wanted to write movies, but yeah. I'm a comic book writer. You know, it's like yeah. these guys weren't being taken seriously by yeah. Hollywood. No, and, and and you were ashamed. Like if you were if you were out if you were you know out in the industry or like at a Hollywood party or something, you didn't tell people you wrote comic books because you were branded with this stigma at that point. And then guys like Kevin Smith and Joss who were like, well, screw this. I want I like comics. I want to write comics. I I want to do animation. I want to do live action. I want to do movies. I want to do TV. And I'm by God, I'm going to do it all. Um, and they did, and that started to change things. But in 2003, it was still unusual. So. Between Jimmy's recommendation and the fact that I had TV credits, I was able to get uh, lunch with Dan, and uh, I pitched what became the the Deadshot miniseries that I did, which was my first work ever in comics. And it's unheard of to start. start. Sorry, (laughs) that's not a bad start. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it's 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 almost unheard of to start out writing for for DC. I mean, usually you have to have credits somewhere else, like TV. Um, But yeah, I I uh, that came out and. From there, I just kept doing it and worked for DC, worked for Marvel. Uh, my big break at Marvel was I did a Union Jack miniseries, uh, which was a lot of fun with Mike Perkins, still one of my favorite projects I've done. And then I got the Iron Man Captain America Civil War special, which was, Civil War was late, and they needed something that sort of recapped the history of the two characters, and it sold a bunch. and. I got a reputation as being a guy who's on time, who, who's who's fast but delivers on time and still does a, you know, passable job. Let's say, <laughs> uh, and so you know, the the the, the cliche in comics is, uh, you know, to get work you either have to be good, fast, or nice. And if you're two if of you're those, two of you'll three, work pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, and if you're all three, you'll never not work. <laughs> so you <laughs> which know, where do you fall in? I, I like to think that I'm uh, fast and. Uh, I'm usually fast and either nice or good, rarely both at the same time. <laughs> you got to work on that trifecta at some point, yeah, right? It's, it's hard. You know, I'm not a good multitasker. It's like walking and chewing gum at the same time. Um, but so anyway, so I've worked pretty steadily since then uh, and uh, continued to do other things, obviously video games, uh, Daredevil TV show, uh, you know, variety. Oh, we'll get to that in a sec. And Ruth and I, write, co-write almost all screenwriting stuff together, the one exception being Teenage Caveman, and, uh, but I, she's not really, we actually just came out with our first uh, original graphic novel that we wrote together called The Lion of Aurora, um, and this Which is, I loved, by the way. Did you? Yes. Thank you so yes. much. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, can I, can I plug a little bit here? Please, feel we, are, we are doing, we have a Facebook page for The Lion of Aurora. It's The Lion of R-O-R-A, Aurora. Have you guys read it? Anybody here read it yet? No. Okay. Well, come down to our table in Artist Alley A5 and uh, get one. And if all you have to do is like t- put a, put a selfie of yourself with it on on the Facebook page, uh, or if you buy it here, we'll take the picture for you and do it for you. And you are entered into a raffle we're holding, and the top prize is a cast signed Daredevil poster. So it's signed by Charlie Cox, uh, oh, yeah. Deborah Ann Wall, Rosario it? Dawson. Uh, do PDFs count? Sorry. Do, do PDF versions of it count? No, you oh, have to pick up a out. picture I yourself. No, I, I need to. With yeah, uh, but um, no. So so it's uh, you know, it, but it's it's we had a great. It took a long time to get it done, uh, but it's it's the story of Ruth's ancestors, people called the Waldensians, who were the first people to uh, to um, rebel against the first people in European history to rebel against their ruler for religious freedom, and it's a lot like Braveheart. The main character is a guy named Joshua Janavel, and 
he was a peasant farmer until he had to step up and, and fight for his, his rights and won these amazing victories, like five people against 500 and that sort of thing. So it's a great stirring story, and uh, we're, we're trying to get the word out to people. It's, I mean, it's done really well. Amazon picked it as one of their uh, top 10 books of August, top 10 graphic novels, uh, and Diamond is promoted. We've gotten some great reviews from Library Journal and stuff like that, but you know, we, we really want people to check it out, so and check the it book, out. The thing I really like about the book is it's it's a different kind of a story from you. As, yeah. You know, it's not capes and cowls. It's not no. sci-fi. It's it's a very traditional storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Is, and, is and that is that stuff like that kind of a stretch for you? Or do you, is that a harder thing to write than it no, is? I will say the line Aurora is probably more in Ruth's wheelhouse than mine, but uh, I do enjoy writing a variety of different types of stuff. Um, you know, I enjoyed historical epic. I probably wouldn't have done it on my own because I'm always like, oh my gosh, you know, it's will I get this right? Will I get this wrong? But really, the um, the the human motivations behind it transcend time and place. And coming up with cool action scenes is always fun. And our artist Jackie Lewis did such a good job. Like we would write, you know, splash page: the army rides over the hill. That was pretty easy. Jackie had to draw the army riding over the hill. She did some amazing battle it's, scenes. It's, and it's a the layouts on it are beautiful. Yeah, like they, she, she's such a good job. Uh, she's going to be big in the in the in the years to come. Uh, and uh, you know, and the cool thing about this story, much like Braveheart, is the the historical records are somewhat fragmentary because the people themselves were fighting for their lives. They weren't writing stuff down. Their opponents wrote down most of the stuff, and it had to do with the ins and outs of the battles. But then there were stuff that you you had to make up. So. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we were able to dramatize, which you always do anyway. Oh, you yeah. compress time, you combine characters, but so it, it was it was a great exercise for us. I mean, Ruth researched this for twenty years, but uh, wow. but you know, I had I had to I got to do a lot of the fun part and just write the battle scenes, so. <laughs> which you're pretty good at. Thank you. <laughs> um, Ruth is really good at it too. Actually, she came, <laughs> she did this thing where remember the scene where they uh, they tie these bags of rocks to trees that they've bent over and then set them on fire and so then cut the, cut the trees loose so they flip up and it's like a catapult mm -hmm. and it shoots the the hot rocks onto over the battlements and that was all Ruth. Ruth really? wrote the, she wrote the most brutal parts of the ninja fight in Daredevil. The part where he gets hooked and dragged that was her. Wow. I was like, "What? That's me. That's brutal. You can't do that." What's what's it like working with your wife as a a collaborative duo. <laughs> it, it, I actually, we like it a lot. I mean, it's funny because I think we comp, I always say this about, about co-writing. I do a lot of co-writing. I work with Dan Slott, Mike Costa, uh, Nicholas Brendan on the Buffy books, uh, who's here at the show. And uh, when, when you, when you co-write, uh, you want to complement each other's skills. You don't want two people who do the exact same thing because then why are you working together? You're just getting half the money. Um, it, it, when you, when, like Dan is great at plot, and I'm much better at scripts. So he he can turn out this amazing plot easily, and then I, I script really fast, and he takes forever agonizing over every word. So we you know we get together. It's like Jack Spratt and his wife. You know we play to each other's strengths. Um, with Ruth and I, I'm I'm like the the disciplined guy who gets up every day, writes five pages, come hell or high water, and uh, she's much more driven by inspiration or whatever. And she always says like she'd never finish a, a script if she was all by herself. Um, but she also, she, she's the one who won't let it go until it's right. Like when we were doing the, the Father Lantham scenes in Daredevil where, where Daredevil's talking, Matt's talking to Father Lantham about his moral dilemmas. And uh, Ruth said, this needs something. It needs an actual Bible verse in here. I was like, no, we're fine. 
And she, she's like, no, I'm going to find one. And she, <laughs> she found one which was great and not just fit the conversation, but fit the whole series. Uh, it was about, you know, a right, when a righteous man, the, the quote, it was from Psalms 25, and it was, uh, uh, a righteous man who gives way before evil is like a muddied river or a polluted fountain. And Matt says, oh, so meaning I have a duty to stand up to evil, which is Wilson Fisk. And the priest said, well, or you could interpret that as a righteous man who sins is contaminating the entire community, his friends, relatives, and whatever. And that makes Matt think. And so it was perfect. And had it just been me, I never would have bothered to look it up because I was like, yeah, this scene's fine. It's great. You know, because I'm, I'm not Ed Wood where it's like, you know, the guy hits the, the scenery and is like, okay, great, let's move on. But, you know, I, I'm, I take my it's, deadline. It's not so precious for you. It's not. And, and I believe that um, some of the comics that we grew up loving, as well as the TV shows, everything, were done under tremendous pressure and duress. So I take deadlines seriously. And I believe that part of the job of a writer is to work within the deadlines and do the best you can. I mean, are, are you the philosophy then, like, deadlines are there so you know to finish? And, like, you, you, I feel like like with a deadline, it's that fact that you're like, okay, I need to get this done so it makes you do it instead yeah. of just, like you said, your wife, your wife will just kind of just, she'd never finish a script right. if, if she didn't have to. Right, right. And, and not because she's lazy, but she'd be researching it and rewriting it and thinking, how can I make this better? And, uh, you know, she probably would be making it better, but it, it, it would never would get never turned in. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, My I'm wife the, is the exact same way. Really? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, of, I'm of the viewpoint that you get up, you write your five pages or whatever it needs to be, and... They may not be your best. You can always go back to them if you get your five pages tomorrow done early and you have time, you know. But you're you're turning something out. Like your 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 job is not just to write a script; it's to write it in this amount of time. So that's that's how I look at it. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, Jack Kirby was drawing five. Not none of us are Jack Kirby, but how many books a month was he drawing at Marvel? And they were all amazing. Now, partly that's because he's Jack effing Kirby, but he was doing five to ten pages, a, five to eight pages a day. It's insane. But you know, by the same token, uh, a lot of those guys, they were, and part of it is because back then they didn't take it. You know, it was considered disposable entertainment. They weren't like flipping out over, oh my god, this is going to be, you know, go down through the generations. But they were craftsmen. They 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 were. You know, they believed in, and a lot of them grew up during the Depression, and they felt like, hey, you've got to have a job, and you better do your job so you can feed your family. So I have a little bit of that old school work ethic, I like to think. Where does that come from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my, my father uh, came over from Greece as an immigrant, as a young boy, fleeing the Greek Civil War. His mother had been wow. killed in the Greek Civil War. His father uh, was, like many immigrants, was working in the U.S. and sending money back home, and then... Uh, after they were they were separated by World War II and then the Greek Civil War and he came over to the U.S. and you know they they didn't have much money but they all worked very hard and uh, it probably comes from that you know they all um, it, you know my, my my older Greek relatives they they I'm, I've been a vegetarian for 20 years and they don't understand the concept of vegetarianism <laughs> because there were times when they didn't eat meat but it was because either the turks or the nazis wouldn't let them <laughs> you know <laughs> so like we could we were vegetarian not by choice exactly so you know i think that's probably where it comes from 
what's your so you said you do five pages a day is that what your normal work day is like what's what walk me through your 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 work day i i am a morning right this is assuming like i'm not like going into a writer's room on a show that's that's its own thing but like if i'm doing my own stuff freelancing i get up in the morning and pretty early like five thirty six eat breakfast and start writing i don't take a shower i don't do anything else because I, that's when i feel my mind is clearest mm-hmm. and uh, i can do the best work uh, i can later in the day i'm fine like doing lettering corrections or rewriting or stuff like that but when you're when you're looking at a blank page i like to do it first thing in the morning ruth is the opposite she likes to do it late at night when it's quiet nobody's bothering you you know and i get that too but i fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night whether I want to or not so it's not an option but welcome to being old <laughs> what's that so welcome to being old I know no and I've been that way since I was like 28 so. <laughs> um, but so I get up and I write and uh, you know I will write my five pages and if I'm feeling you know inspired maybe seven sometimes ten uh, but I usually do at least five and I feel like it doesn't have to be brilliant I can go back and change it but it's important to keep that forward motion going uh, and then after that, you know, depending on what time it is, uh, I will do go back over what I've written and polish it. I'll do rewrites. I'll do lettering corrections, you know, other types of stuff. Um, but that the important part is those five pages. And, you know, there's some days when you're it's all rewriting because like when I finish a script, you know, say I've written a 22 page script, I want to go back over it and polish it before I turn it in. So some days it's all rewriting. But that that's my general framework is five pages a day do you feel like if you don't get those five pages you're just not something something went wrong or it's it's funny because recently i work generally every single day um recently i took a day off and it felt so good but then the next by the next day i was really itching to get back to it really uh because i was like something you just can't turn it off no I can't. Now, you know, I would love for someone to test that by giving me $500 million and seeing if I, you know, if I didn't need the money, would I get up and play video games? Maybe. Let's find out. Somebody give me the money. Uh, But until someone does, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. So you worked on this TV show. I think a couple people watched it called Daredevil. Yes. How'd that come about? Uh, Well, Ruth and I um, had... uh, Drew Goddard was the showrunner uh, who originated the show, and obviously we have some mutual acquaintances, one of them being Joss Whedon, who I write the Buffy comic. Uh, so we, Ruth and I had had a meeting with uh, Megan Bradner at Marvel, who's a terrific executive uh, in Marvel's TV department. We'd had a meeting with her you know, a couple of years before, like when Marvel first announced they had a TV department and they were just doing animation, and we said, look, if you ever do live action, you know, we'd love to be a part of it. And uh, she didn't forget, and she, and we heard that she was submitting our stuff to Drew, and so we asked, you know, I sent Joss an email. We asked some people who we had common acquaintances with to say, you know, hey, can you just let Drew know that, you know, we're we're good people and good writers. And so he brought us in, and uh, it was funny because I was I was saying to Ruth, I was like, look, uh, when when we go in the meeting, like I'll relate to him on a comic book level. Don't worry, I got this. And we got in there, and we did relate on a comic book level. We got along really well, but he was—he loved Ruth because um, what I didn't know that Drew, Drew told us later is his point. His idea was, I don't need comic book people for this show. Uh, I've got that covered, you know, because he grew up reading. Yeah. He likes to say he on his college uh, on his door in high school. He had he had painted the 
you know, the Kingpin's words from Daredevil Born Again, I've shown him that man without without hope is a man without fear. Uh, so he, he's a pretty big comic book nerd. And that's, and that's that's pretty nerdy. It is pretty nerdy. And he had a, he had that covered and he was looking for people who could support the other stuff. So what he liked about me is I told him stories about how my father was a reporter for the New York Times in the early 70s covering the mafia and uh, how my dad would meet um, informants, people who were mafia guys who were telling him stuff at like the, the roadside rest stops. So he'd pull into the rest stop and he'd, he'd get there a little early and he'd you know, park at the back, and when he saw the car coming towards him, he would write down the license plate on a piece of masking tape and stick it under the dashboard so that if he never came back, my mother would know to look under there for the, so the oh, cops wow. could find who killed him. And uh, and Drew loved that and, and that story, and, you know, he's like, okay, that's great. And with Ruth, he was like, uh, Ruth talked about how the very first thing she did in film was she was working just out of college or maybe still in college she was working for the government of North Carolina and she worked on the movie Last of the Mohicans with Michael Mann nice and that is like Drew's favorite movie he said he and Joss call it the, the best Batman movie ever made <laughs> uh, and it's true he just asked her all about that and was just so impressed with it and uh, you know so it just I mean it clicked I mean when, when you really click with somebody it worked it, 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 you know it and so we, you know, we had the meeting on like a Tuesday, and by the next Tuesday, we were in the writers' room. Uh, the room was being put together, uh, and you know, uh, it was just such a great, great experience. Drew is one of the rare talents in the business, much like Joss, where brings out the best in everyone around him. Doesn't lord it over people. You know, he's like, I'll take ideas, or the good idea from anywhere. Makes you feel like you're all part of a team. It's not like I'm the showrunner and you're down here. It's yeah. like we're we're just hanging out here and talking about story. And he had such a great vision for Daredevil. Um, and then you know, part uh, several months in, he left to, to direct a, a to do work on a Spider-Man movie he was going to direct. And uh, Stephen Denight, a friend of his and colleague from the Buffy days, came in. And Stephen is was terrific too. Uh, he and Drew. Are, again, complement each other very well. They wrote some great episodes of, of Buffy and Angel together, uh, and I'm not surprised that they did because they complement each other very well. And Stephen has a little bit more of a, um, you know, more violent sensibility. He's a sweet, <laughs> sweet guy. But it, it, you know, anyone who sees Spartacus knows that he he does he yeah. does not shy away from the violence. Uh, so, um, but but then again, Drew was the one who came up with the idea of the the kingpin slamming the guy's head. Oh, in, really? Uh, yeah. And Drew, Drew I thought wrote, you were going to tell me it was your wife. No, she, she, she would have. She would have. Uh, and Drew wrote the hallway fight, so Drew was not shying away from the violence, but Stephen, it was, you know, Stephen's the guy who's like, when they were calling him from set saying, uh, you know, when they're hosing down the car after that's happened, they're calling him from the set saying, you want pieces of brain in there? And he's like, hell yeah, I want pieces of brain in there. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, that's how we came ab aboard there, and there were some other, uh, you know, there was Joe Pekaski from Heroes, who's now writer on Heroes. He's written some comics, too. And, uh, and Marco Ramirez, playwright, uh, terrific guy. Uh, but, and Drew, uh, uh, all these guys w ended up being comic book people. Oh, that's not why they were hired. They were all, you know, comic book fans. Ruth was the only one who'd never read a Daredevil comic, and she asked, should I wow. read these? And everyone was like, no, we need someone who has not read the comics, who's going to come from the POV of a, the general audience, which is going to be a, the majority of our audience who has not read a Daredevil comic, and we need to know, will this work or will it confuse people? You yeah. know, I was talking about this at our panel this morning where the, the ninja fight was originally going to be with a character from the comics called Kurigi, who's this undead 
warrior who doesn't talk, I don't, he wasn't going to be undead in the show, but or at least not explicitly. But um, you know, I think it was Ruth who pointed out that if if we bring in a brand new character the audience hasn't seen, they're going to be like, who is this? And if the character doesn't talk, they're not going to find out who it is. And you know, we talked and realized that maybe this character Nobu, who we've been seeing all along, he could just be the ninja, and uh, that is what ended up happening and for the purposes of the TV show that was the better decision you know whereas I would have been like Karigi we gotta get him in the, in the show you know and stilt man that was always the joke when we got stuck it was like well stilt man <laughs> the night was a big stilt man fan what do you prefer writing room or writing by yourself uh, it varies I, I like the writer's room but uh, I, I think if I had to pick one I'd go with writing by myself the great thing about the writer's room is that you're getting, you're in a, in a good writer's room, you're pulling, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, everyone's throwing out ideas and, and the good ones get used. I mean, we do this with the Buffy comics. Before each season, we have a summit. Joss is there, Jane Espenson, you know, people from the show, the people writing the comics, and everyone builds the, the large arc for the series, that, and that's why it's so great. So I, I, that is is huge and when you're doing something like a tv show you have to do that but there's something i enjoy about just sitting on my couch you know uh unshaven and unbathed un with my cat next to me and just writing you know comics about dinosaurs fighting giant robots you know there's <laughs> something enjoyable about that what would you see the, the, your biggest challenges as a writer uh you know as a, a writer, especially a, a freelancer, your challenge is always getting the next job. And even though I'm lucky to be in a, pos a position now where, you know, I, I have more opportunities than I can say yes to, every time I say no to something, it still freaks me out. You know, I still have that, that struggling freelancer's gut reaction. Another one which hasn't served me well lately is never turn down food. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're coming up and you're, you're, you're starving, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Nicholas Brendan from uh, Buffy. A <laughs> fine man, fine co-writer, New York Times best-selling. Uh, my New York Times best-selling co-writer. Are you coming up here to hang out with me or what? Uh, it, it, no, you don't. Let, let's whip it out. I would be happy to. Have, if you want, there's a mic right there if you want to. Just turn it on. Make sure it's. A, Are we being recorded right now? Yes. Yeah, we're on a podcast. Yeah. Welcome to Crypto. So is this live? No, it's not live, unfortunately. We tried. So what are you, wow, guys, what are you guys talking about? Thank, thank you for show, showing up. Of I've, course. No, this is... I'm his guy. I watched Buffy from day one, so, you know. So did I. I well, I certainly hope so. Each episode only once, though. Really? When you it was went, on TV. You went back? How'd you guys meet? How'd we meet? Uh, we met at the Summit for season 10, didn't we? Did we not meet before that? No, we met at the Summit for season 10. Uh, they had it in West Hollywood. And uh, you were there, and we were talking story. It was the whole group. It was Jane Espenson. I'm going to tell you everyone who's there. The two of us, Josh, Jane Espenson, Drew Greenberg, Ruth was there, Scott Alley, Scott's wife, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Vi Victor Gishler, who writes Angel and Faith, and Andrew Chambliss, who wrote Buffy Season 9. Uh, and that was everybody. If I forgot somebody, they're going to be how, really... But how did we get paired? 
we didn't officially get paired then because at that point I hadn't decided if I was going to write Buffy or Angel and Faith. And after we did that and came up with a great storyline for Buffy in the room, I was like, okay, I want to write Buffy. Oh, so it was totally up to you? So it was totally up to so me. So you were just doing that thing. Was, I'm not sure what I want to write. Oh, maybe this is, okay, I'll do this one. That, that, that was pretty much Yeah, it. this is worthy of me now. Exactly. Me and my talents. Well, and then I had to consider whether I wanted to actually collaborate with an actor. Yeah. You know, I mean... I had to think the same thing. I got to wake up with myself every morning. I know. That's, well, you know, that's tough business. It is tough business. Do you, ever, sure. you ever wake up with yourself and be like, "What the what the hell did I drink last night?" Uh, what in the past year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do we have snap. to <laughs> do we it, have to go through this? <laughs> uh, look, I'm very proud of Nikki because he has come out of uh, rehab. Was it? Yeah, sixty days. So, oh, congratulations! Thank you. Getting the word out there about. About depression and stuff like that yeah. as well, which is which is which is huge because uh, you know a lot of people suffer from depression and unfortunately all too often I for me it's more anxiety but uh, a lot of people who suffer from depression anything like that there's a feeling of like would you call it shame or whatever you can't talk to people about you it you can't because it's not like you can talk about like you can I don't know hypothetically speaking blackout and trash hotel rooms what. I haven't tried because that that's sexy. Like yeah. alcoholism is sexy, but depression—it's just people. It's right. not like nobody wants to hear. I sat in my room all day and did, and, and did and nothing, didn't do anything. Yeah, or for a month. Though actually, that's something that maybe we could write. What? Like a depressed superhero. Sure. Yeah. I would save the world, but I just can't get I out just, of bed. Well, yeah. Or or a show on NBC. I think I, we talked about this called The Procrastinator. About coming next week. <laughs> it's always coming next nice. week. But then what you would have to do, honestly, is that, so coming out fall of 2015, The Procrastinator, and then it's next week. But then what it really is, it's a year push for, then we'll actually air it 2016. Nice. It's brilliant. And, and procrastinating is the dude's superpower? Maybe. All right. Maybe. Sounds good. Procrastination, Sounds man. Good. <laughs> procrastination, man. I just can't decide on what my costume's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I just say, I'm, I'm not I sure if yellow's maybe, in my color wheel. Maybe. Maybe so, we'll do that. Yeah. I don't know. I'll get back to you about the color. So you're like panel man today. I am panel man today. That's our guy. Panel man? Panel man. Panel man. He just goes and does comic book conventions. Better than pad man. Than what? Pad man. <laughs> What's pad man? Like, it's the same thing, I guess, as tampon man. Oh, I see. I, I'm thinking like Rad Pad. Like dude, <laughs> the dude just comes to your house and hangs out. Pad man. Yeah. He <laughs> hangs out at your pad. Hire me. Can we take this on the road? Just the. We, we do. We, yeah. We, from time to time, we do. And uh, Ruth makes a great bean salad. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I me mean, neither. <laughs> so, what's this collaboration? It's like, a lot like this. Is, is this how? Is that? <laughs> yeah. Is this how things are done? We get together and and. Um, you know, he suggests things that are entirely too racy to make it into the comic, and well, I, that's what. But Joss taught me that. Yes, he's. You know, Joss always said, "Have put nine out." Thing just attacked me. He's like, put nine things in there because you want one. Because the networkers, right. they're gonna say you can't do. He's like, okay, if I can't do those eight, then I have to have that one. But he doesn't want those other eight. He just wants that that one. But if he just that's put that right. one in there, they'd say you can't do that because. Here's the thing about network people. They really like making things bad. Yeah. They want to take the funny out of it. They want to take the entertainment out of it. I, most of the ones that I've met. God, I hope people from the network aren't listening to this yes. show. <laughs> they are. No, no, nobody listens to it. Okay, unfortunately. <laughs> Damn it. My audience just went from five to six, so thank oh, you. Oh, Christ. Well, those are the talented ones. If they're listening to this, then they probably are thinking, 
outside the circle. But no, we uh, again, like I was saying before about you know complimenting each other. Uh, you know, for example, the the issue that's coming out next is one where Giles uh, is who has spoiler alert has. Re- was killed and returned to life, but in a 12-year-old body or 13-year-old body, and so he's got his memories and whatever. But he's got this hormonal raging, raging body, and it's very frustrating for him. And we did an issue where he gets re-aged to adulthood for like one day, and that was Nikki's idea. And uh, we, you know, he's like, "How about this?" I said, "I think that's great." And you know, we came up with some, you know, the obvious boner jokes. But uh, at the same time, you know, Nikki was like, um, "You know, what if Buffy?" kept his old glasses from when he was an adult, you know, and now he needs a pair of glasses that fit him now, and it turns out she kept him, and there didn't end up being room for that in the, in the issue, but uh, we are going to use that. Anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was very, you know, that was a great, uh, that was a, a good example of an issue that I'm very proud of. It comes out soon, and, and uh, I think we collaborated well on that one. Yeah. Well, how many have we done? I, I don't know. Like, well, are we doing two more? We, we can do two more. I'm, do. I'm in the middle of 27 right now, and I'm going to send it to you because you lost your phone, and I haven't been able to get a hold I, of Guys, you. I can't even tell you. I lost my phone and my wallet on a plane. And How'd you do that? It fell out of my bag. It was crazy because uh, I'm kind of, my girlfriend and I are kind of living in, in Saratoga Springs right now for th- three or four months just to kind mm-hmm. of reboot. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we, we flew from L.A. to Saratoga last Thursday, L.A. to Indy, Indy to Detroit, Detroit to Albany, of course. Wow. And I had that's, it the whole way, and, then, and then on the short trip, and it was a red eye, on the short trip, um, gone, evaporated. See ya, bye. Just nothing. See ya. Yeah. Wow. Sober. Stone cold sober. I was going to say, and, and you just, this is after rehab. This is, yeah, that, yeah, it, this shit just happens to me all the time. I'm really trying to quell it a little bit, but uh, it follows me. We, one of our, like my shadow, a lot like my shadow. <laughs> one of our favorite characters in season 10 is a guy who has not made it on, on panel yet, but it's, it's Xander's therapist, Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike. Uh, and we have a lot of fun. But uh, at one point, I remember Nikki was like, is Dr. Mike going to turn out to be like a, a demon or a bad guy or something? And I was like, no, I don't think so. He's like, please, let's, I just want Xander to have someone who's looking like, out for yeah, him. Yeah, like you know? one. one. One guy who's out there and, and uh, you know. And then at one like, point, I, I'd asked you, I think the last time we wrote, I'm like, because I was having a hard time with like the magic thing. Right. And I said, do you find when, when magic is a part of, of the equation that it's, it's, it's like a cop-out? Because if, nothing's, if something's not working, then magic can kind of come and save the day. Mm-hmm. So I always tend to kind of stay away from the magic as much as yeah. I possibly can. And I think that's... Uh, Which I think that's then right. just drives me crazy because then I can't figure it out. <laughs> magic! So, Nick, let me ask you this. When... Do you guys do you guys do you feel like you guys complement each other as as writing? I mean, you, you know, people know you as an actor right. more than they do as obviously as a as a writer. Well, you and know, he um, stru- he does the lion's share. I mean, like there's a lot of the structure stuff that that, and then I'm not really sure what I do. I did just I actually I, I wrote a children's book that I want to yeah I want to talk to you about awesome. tonight at dinner. Cool. It's about uh, it's about a mouse who's lactose intolerant and a, <laughs> and a rain cloud that can't make rain and they become best friends. I like it. <laughs> I like that. No, but here's a good example. I remember the very first time we worked together, um, you know, we had talked about the story, and then I wrote the first draft and showed it to him, and he was suggesting, you know, ways to make... Th- it was a scene where... Uh, okay, so Xander and Dracula are sort of buddies, but they have this weird relationship where, um, you know, Xander doesn't like the fact that when he's around Dracula, he calls him master and, you know, whatever. Dracula feel Dracula behaves a lot like a jilted lover, and... So Dracula was trying to make it out when Xander visited him that 
he had just, they had just had a fantastic orgy the evening before. It's, it's too bad Xander doesn't hang out with him more, or he'd be able to be part of all this stuff. And it, it was fake, of course. He had staged it all. Um, and so Nikki was saying, you know, to really underscore, I was like, I'm, I'm trying, I want to make it very clear that there was no orgy. I don't want anyone to read this and think there was an orgy, that it should be clear that Dracula was, you know, is, is kind of this pathetic figure. Uh, and Nicky's like, well, just have him keep repeating orgy. orgy. You know, when someone, uh, when someone is, is lying about something, they're going to keep hitting it because they're freaked out about lying you about it. You know, that like, uh, yeah, the yeah. orgy that we had on, you know, Tuesday orgy night, maybe you missed that orgy you mean, on I, I've never invited you to orgy night Tuesday? You know what, here's the thing. I've, I've, how many people in this room have actually participated in an orgy before? Today? This week? Wow. What time is it? Is this Dragon Con? Wait. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not a fan of orgies. I don't like to watch them. I don't like to participate in them. I'm I a one-woman man now. 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 Happily as, one. As am I. For, not now. For, now, okay. For, for, 20, you know, for 20 years. Has it been that long? It's been, we've been together huh? for 20 Congratulations. years. Congratulations. I remember going to your wedding. Huh? I remember going to your... No, your, you didn't go to my... It wasn't my wedding. Wedding. Yeah. Bed wedding. I was talking about bed I wedding. See. Yes. Master, Bader, Bader. Dog Prince. Uh, we Bader. have we actually have time for some questions. If anybody, anybody, has questions. Yes. yes. You just have to speak loud, or Christos can have you as Mike. Okay. It's fine. Um, in recent years, especially now more than ever, social media has played a huge part, um, especially for freelance writers. Do you find that now, um, and with your show, has that helped you? Has that made any real difference? How has that affected your career as a writer? That's a great you know, question. That is a fantastic question. There, there are people out there who are like, you have to have a social media presence. You have to have X amount of followers. I, I'm on Twitter. I enjoy Twitter because I get, get the word out on to people, and I can tweet things that I find amusing. But, and I'm, uh, but I, my feeling is if it works for you, great. If it's not who you are, don't fake it. Like, there's nothing worse than someone who's trying to cultivate a really hip, cool social media persona, and it's painfully obvious. And it's just not orgies. Right I just or, had a Tuesday orgy. There you go. So, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. But my, my Facebook for me is more of a personal thing uh, with friends and family. And, and I'm not on Instagram or Snapchat or any of that other young people stuff. Uh, That's for, like, teenagers sending pictures of their boobies and stuff, right? I guess it so. It used to be. Yeah. It was, it's, oh, it's not, hey, you, it's, you just said that like you were really bummed. Yeah, You, you shouldn't be so forlorn. I mean, now I've got to find a whole new place to show dick pics. I mean, come on. I don't no, know. Um, no, but no. It, it's, it's a good question, and, and I think that there is importance. There's something to be said for getting, you know, inter, what's great is that you can, you can uh, uh, interact with the audience, that, that, which is also a danger because especially with Buffy, you've got the shippers. I don't want to get into all that, but people want Buffy with this guy instead of that guy. You can't write to that but you you it's a double-edged sword i say go with whatever is best suited to who you are as a person what do you think Nikki, about I, social media oh well yeah how many followers do you have on like i, I call 13, it i, I 13, call it thousand i call it twatting i know you do okay though my girlfriend she says you can't you can't you can't call it twat anymore I can't say, hello, my twats, how are you? I she know. said, she put the kibosh on that. She put that. the kibosh on that, good. I like this girl already. <laughs> yeah, she's making me a better person. Good. Um, That's a good thing. You know, I mean, to, to be quite honest, I mean, I'm just using it right now just to kind of really, as I'm going through my, uh, my addiction stuff and with my depression stuff, it's really kind of gathered a lot of groundswell that, that way. I think there are a lot of people that have not been able to have been heard, so I don't really use it for that particular reason. But it's just really nice. It's if you want to get, to be quite honest with you, and, and this isn't this is an honest question. 
and it might come off as a bit dickish, but like unless you are a celebrity or something like that, why did those, who has, why would anybody have Twitter? Like, I mean, because it's like you kind of want to get the message out. Let's say you've got two million followers. It's like, okay, I can do that. But like, if you've got like 60, like really, like what is it? I want to know what you had for dinner last night. Is that exactly, is that what it is? Oh my gosh. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. I I just like to see pictures of food. (laughs) Do you? No. On on Snapchat? Yeah. That's not food, buddy. That's not food. (laughs) What was it? The orgy last night. Oh, Lord. Orgy Tuesday. But questions. Anyone? Anyone? Go for it. As you take Chris's mic. Uh, I mean, as a writer, you have these ideas of how you want the actors to be portrayed and as the characters. Do you get to interact with the actors at all? You know, say, oh, I, for this scene, I really want you to be this way or that way. What, um, what does that look like? Good question. Uh, I try to associate with actors as little as possible. No, uh, I... Especially <laughs> conventions. Especially this one. I'm... I'm t- I'm, I'm taking some time off. All right, good. So. Uh, no, I mean, this is the thing. As a writer, you have things in your head, and, and any co- if you're a novelist, great, but in any collaborative medium, the, the awesomeness when you're working with talented collaborators is they, when they do something you weren't expecting. Like, you know, who am I? I'm not going to go up to Vincent D'Onofrio and say, no, Vincent, you're doing it wrong. You know, he, he, he always did it better than, than, uh, than Ruth and I thought or exactly as envisioned and for example in features the writer is not allowed to talk to the actors or not supposed to the director is is the one who ta- who deals with the actors in tv it's more of a writer's medium so the writers can you know you respect the director on the set but but the writers can have more of an input but the actors are you know their job is not to do it your way it's it's to do it the right way and your job is to know when that is the right way. I mean, sometimes you do. You got to say, in this particular line, I just need to tell you that three episodes from now, you know, you're going to find out that you're adopted. So try to color that in here, you know. But, you know, I mean, and there's a great George Clooney line uh, where he, he was doing one of his early movies and he was talking to the director and the director was saying some motivation thing. He said, look, I'm a TV actor. Slower, faster, you know, louder, softer. <laughs> just, uh, but I don't know. As an actor, what do you think, sir? Oh, they keep writers the fuck away from me is what mm-hmm. I say. No, yes, it's true. Well, it's, well, and a lot of it is because, um, and especially like I'm Buffy, but, but Joss is, is such a writer's writer that he really kind of cultivated that. Uh, you know, it, he was kind of prepping people to, to direct and to be showrunners as well. So that was much more of, of like a writing seminar with Joss mm-hmm. on, on, on Buffy. And, um, but a lot, yeah, I, I've never gotten a note... Uh, from a writer uh, about like an emotional standpoint. A lot of it too is like if, if we need a clarification, because uh, yeah. like on Criminal Minds, now on Buffy, when, that's, when, that's, when, that, when that script was set, those words, when we went to the shooting draft, there was, you did not deviate from that. You never deviated? Never. Josh said, he's like, you know, the emotion would be perfect. You know, there are times where he just, he didn't want Sarah to ever have a tear come down. He wanted him to be welling. So even if, He'll take the tear, but if she missed a, an A or a the or a, you know, any, wow. he would say, I put that word there for a reason. And so he would, he would, he, he needs, the words were so important because I think after Buffy the movie, when he saw, you know, like Donald Sutherland and all the other actors changing his dialogue, that was where he'd realized that, uh-uh. And then when, when we went to the, to the premiere of Alien Resurrection, 
he's like, I'm done. He's like, because wow. his shit was changed. Yeah. And from that moment on, it was just really, you had to do word for word. Now, in Criminal Minds, if you get around, I don't know, like 60% of maybe what the line's trying to say, we're moving on. Wow. So it's crazy, because I was trained, because Buffy was the first thing I did. So I was trained to be spot on, which when you're auditioning, sucks. Because if I, met, if, if I, if I, if I mess a lineup uh, on Buffy, I knew that we'd have to just kind of start from the beginning. When you're auditioning, you can't do that. You have to kind of roll with the punches a little bit. And yeah. Joss, Joss taught me to be a really horrible auditioner. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joss Whedon. <laughs> Uh, Denite was very much like that too. Uh, obviously, coming up in the in the Buffy camp, he was not opposed to changing. Like you know, sometimes there's a word that an actor stumbles over, or just for whatever reason, that word is coming feeling funny. He was not opposed to, but he always had to be consulted. He didn't want like random people deciding because you know, as is often the case, the showrunner might be planning something down the road. I remember there was a line that someone wanted to cut for time, so I was covering set that day. I, I texted him. What about this? And he's like, no, this is going to pay off two episodes from now. So, I, you know, I totally get that. And, and uh, you know, I think it's important. But, you know, if, if uh, somebody had a, a, a counter proposal, Stephen would always listen to it. But Yeah, Joss wouldn't. <laughs> Even if, I remember Tony had some really great ideas about his character, Giles. And, and literally, if you went to Joss's office... Uh, and it was a great idea. It was going to be the exact opposite. You know, it's kind of like, I don't pay you guys to write. You're the only thing that he ever took for me, and, and it, this wasn't even, I didn't even, like, propose it as a line. But at one time, it was in season one, and I had just gotten, um, I just gotten some falafels, which I do want to open up a food truck, and it's going to be called the Falafel Truth. So please come <laughs> to my food truck. Um, so I... Uh, so I just, and I saw, the, the, I saw the shawarma thing. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, it's this glued meat. So I go into Joss's office, and I'm like, what's this deal with shawarma? I mean, it's, it's, it's like glued meat. It's a meat stick. It's disgusting. It's just, and it's on the spit. It's rotating. It's gross. And then so we did an episode called Teacher's Pet in season one where the teacher, she drugs me, and I'm like, oh, being all, hey, what's this thing with shawarma? You know, it's, <laughs> it's all gross. And then he put it in the Avengers uh, at the end at of the, end the first Avengers. And so Robert Downey Jr. was talking about it, and, and Robert, who actually, I live next door to him in Venice, um, and he was saying that, you know, he and Joss came up with that at the end because he needed some punch-up. And Joss finally said, no, actually, Nikki came up with that. He thought it was during the audition, but it was, I just went into his office and started riffing on shawarma. That's the only thing that I've ever known Joss to, to, to have used that wasn't out of his or one of these brilliant people's minds, not that you worked on the TV show. But you could have. I, I, I could have, yeah. One more question. One more. One more. And how do you glow? What's the shawarma? Th how do you put the meats together like that? I've been a vegetarian for 20 years, so I don't even know. I've also been a vegetarian for like 17 years, so nice. shawarma. I don't know. Um, my question about Daredevil is uh, when I first started watching it, I was so excited because it was like dark and gritty and not, not fun in a traditional sense. But then as you get more into it, there's a lot of moments that are genuinely really almost laugh out loud funny. How do you know when the right moment is to add some comedy? That's a, that's a good question. I think that, you know, the wrong moment is when you come up with a joke and you think that joke makes me really look clever, so I want to put that in. Uh, <laughs> the right moment, is, I mean, you know, you, you look at, at life sometimes 
there is there's a reason that that Mary Tyler Moore episode where she can't stop laughing at the funeral is a classic, and it's because human beings sometimes use humor in, in the weirdest One of the situations. Best examples of, of screenwriting yeah. is that particular that the particular episode. Yeah. So good. Which one? Were? Chuckles the Clown. I think it's called Mary Tyler Moore episode oh, yeah, where yeah, she yeah. can't stop laughing yeah. at the at the funeral. Um, so you know, I think it was always a, a question of and Foggy obviously being the comic relief character, but he was also the the uh, the moral center of the show. So there were moments like, for example, where Karen brings Matt a balloon because he's supposedly been in a car accident when he's actually been beaten up by a ninja. And at that point, she knows that he's just been flagrantly lying to her about all kinds of stuff. And she's like, yeah, I brought you a balloon. It's got a monkey on it. And she just leaves. You know, that was funny, but it was also poignant. Um, and, you know, it, it's really, it's just a gut feeling. It's, it's hard to say, but it, it, sh- it, it should go to character and not, I just came up with a really witty line. Usually when people try to compliment me, they're actually complimenting Ruth, who is, is, uh, usually comes up with the, the best stuff. Does that piss you off? No. You're like, God damn it, Ruth. I'm actually, uh, uh, I love that when you know just people respond to our stuff because our our collaboration is so you know collaborative uh, to be redundant um that i don't think i actually don't separate out this is your line this is my line and a lot of times neither one of us can remember who came up with the line but she comes up with a lot of good stuff i always like to ask what's the best advice somebody's ever given you you go first uh it's you know what i it was i was driving down here yesterday from santa monica and, and I know this is going to sound weird, but um, win today. Just win today. Be a winner today. Put your head on the pillow and just win today. Get through today. Winning. Winning. That's good. Not Charlie Sheen winning, <laughs> but like, like just win today. Yeah, best advice anyone's ever given me. Uh, don't use double negatives. No, that uh, wasn't it. I, I don't know. I can't think of it. It's, there's not like any one piece of advice, you know. Um, have fun and try not to hurt anybody. You know, that's 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 the key, the secret of life. Well, but you also said too. It's like there are a lot of clever ideas and clever and clever jokes. Mm-hmm. You can't write a script or a scene around that. Right. You know, jokes. That's gonna kind of. So yeah, like not. Don't do something just to look smart and funny because that's a good way to get fired. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's true. You can't write a, a whole scene around just one joke? Well, if you're doing a sitcom, you probably can. But, uh, well, we actually did the whole thing with, uh, with when, when, when we killed the big Dracula on the building. Right. And I was actually walking in Paris, and I just came up with this, this I think his name was Lance, and he was just a really big, sad, lonely, giant gay vampire. And he just was so big that, like, he was bigger than everybody else, and he was just so lonely. So he committed suicide by falling on the Eiffel Tower. It was a funny piece, but it's, it's not coming off as funny. So then I kind of pitched that. So we had that idea to, to kill Right, we made, uh, Dracula was turning into an old one, the, the very first, uh, not the first vampire, but the creature, that, the old one that, that sired the first vampire. And uh, he, so he's becoming this giant vampire thing. And so, uh, but that's, that's where it come up. Nikki saying, telling me that story, and I was like, okay, I think I see where this fits into the whole thing. But that wasn't around, that was, that was something, an idea that sort of you, you say, this is a framework for what's already going on. It wasn't right. like, this moment is so clever that I'm going to put it in where it doesn't belong. Right. Because, like, you know. if we were to not be writing, um, like, a vampire thing, and all of a sudden right. we have a giant vampire yeah, that would impale be a- himself 
in the middle of like a crime drama. That would be a little. That bit would be of a, a mistake. That would be a mistake, and it would be a lame crime drama. Actually, because it might be a French farce though. A, a French bedroom farce. At an orgy. <laughs> Tuesday orgy night. There Tuesdays. you go. Enjoy the orgy and the mutton. <laughs> On that note, we are out of time, guys. Thank you so much for, for coming out. Thank you for Thank having me. I didn't even know I was doing this. Thanks for Thank showing you. up, Nick. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. You can follow Christos Gage on Twitter. He's just at Christos Gage. You can follow Nicholas Brendan on Twitter. He's just at Nicholas Brendan. Follow Eat Geek Play on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, just at Eat Geek Play. Also, if you want to check out some more podcasts about comic books, geek lifestyle, and music, go over to eatgeekplay.com. Check out all of our other podcast offerings. And if you are feeling kind, go over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you downloaded this podcast from and leave us a review.
And Nicholas Brandon joins us. Half. And about halfway through the interview, Nicholas Brandon joins us. Damn it. Oh, and Nicholas Brandon, you know, the actor, he joins us about halfway through the interview to talk about co-writing the, bu- the Buffy, to talk about co-writing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic book with Gage. Thanks again to all the fine folks at the Long Beach Comic Con for having us out. It was such a blast. If you want to go to the convention, we'll be back there for Long Beach Comic Expo in February. Go over to longbeachcomiccon.com for all your tickets and information. And here's our interview with Christos Gage. <laughs> 